I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled The Dangers of Co-Signing. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on Finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles. Tom is the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries, and his financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching the dangers of co-signing. I'd like to welcome you to the second session of a two-session series on the topic, The Dangers of Co-Signing. In order to watch session one, uh, if if you haven't seen it, is be sure to go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org, and you can find it there and you can watch it. Session one will provide more details on the biblical financial principles, um, but the purpose of this session is to provide more real-life case studies to help you understand the practical application of the biblical financial principles. However, before I get into the real life case studies, I'd like to give you a brief overview of the biblical financial principles, just in case you did not watch session one, which by the way, again, is on our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. And for clarity, the objective of this series is to teach the biblical principles that apply to co-signing and their practical application. I can say this, from four decades of experience, Most Christians are totally unaware that God's Word, the Bible, has several scriptures that apply to co-signing. Most are totally unaware of that. Although it is certainly not a law, and it's certainly not a legalism either, the Bible warns that it is dangerous to co-sign for someone else's debts. Proverbs 11.15 says, It's a dangerous thing to guarantee payment for someone else's debts. Don't do it. And in Proverbs 22.25.26 it says, Don't guarantee to pay someone else's debts. If you don't have the money, you might lose your bed. In other words, you could lose something that's very important to you, uh, your savings. You could lose a car that you own. We've even seen cases where people actually lose their homes when they co-signed on a loan. And Proverbs 17, 18 states, A man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. And the idea of striking hands in pledge at that time was meant to strike hands, shake hands, confirming you're responsible for a financial obligation and, and so what the scripture is saying, it, you're only going to do that if you lack judgment. It's not a good thing to do. It's not a, a wise thing to do. Now, I'll, I'll explain in a few minutes. There's a couple of exceptions, but generally speaking, uh, God's saying, don't co-sign. It's, it's, it's dangerous. Generally speaking, there's a few exceptions, not many. Um, I would like to now share with you some of the common situations that I've seen where people have co-signed. And uh, generally speaking, they've encountered some significant financial and even relationship problems as a result. Um, So it's important for you to understand the different types of situations that could result in you effectively co-signing because I find quite often people co-sign on a debt without realizing it. They don't realize it and they only find out later, usually from a financial institution, when the borrower um, has not made their payments and suddenly the co-signer is responsible for someone else's liability. A lot of people think it's a formality They don't fully understand the implications and they don't understand the fact that definitely more than 50% of the time the co-signer has to pay the debt, not the original borrower. So I'm going to give you a number of real-life case studies. Uh, First one, co-signing on a car loan. A couple of years ago, I was being interviewed on Life 100.3 radio by Steve Jones. A lady called in and she explained she had just received a nasty letter from the bank indicating that she must pay for her son's car loan payments which were four months overdue. 
and she had 15 days to pay or the bank would take legal action. Several months prior, she had co-signed on a vehicle loan for her son, thinking it was just a formality, and even though he was working full-time and had a good income, he was a bad money manager and missed several payments. Now, she didn't fully realize how bad of a money manager he was until this, until this happened. In addition to having to pay for her son's loan, she had to not only make up the four months of pay payments, they demanded it, and she had to pay for the loan. Suddenly, she had a bad credit rating because as the co-signer, you were also considered to be one of the borrowers. And as soon as you miss any, any payments on a loan, that can negatively impact your credit rating. She was really worried, and I mean really worried, because her mortgage was coming due in the next several months, and with the bad credit rating, she may not be able to renew her mortgage so she could even lose her house or be forced to go for secondary financing at a much higher interest rate. Bottom line, she had no idea that co-signing on her son's vehicle loan could result in so many problems. Had no idea. Another example, co-signing for the daughter and son-in-law's mortgage. Many years ago, a lady called me. She was in tears. Her husband and her had just been notified that the bank had taken a large portion of their retirement fund. About one year prior, mom and dad had co-signed on their daughter and son-in-law's mortgage. And since the daughter and son-in-law had missed several payments, the bank exercised its legal rights and unilaterally used a portion of mom and dad's retirement fund to pay off the debt. As usual, this couple had no idea that when they co-signed that effectively they were borrowing the money. And if the daughter and son-in-law did not make their payments, then the bank could legally obtain some of their assets. The father in particular was quite angry. He spoke to his daughter and son-in-law. They apologized, but they had no money to reimburse mom and dad. Afterwards, the reason for the default became obvious as the daughter and son-in-law had mismanaged money by purchasing many things they did not need and accumulating a lot of credit card debt, lines of credit, and two car loans. As is very common, the relationship was soured. Most people have no idea that co-signing can cost you a lot of money and also ruin your relationships with your loved ones. A third example, a friend co-signs on a business loan for another friend. Several years ago, I was being interviewed by Neil Bourne on WDCX Radio. A lady who was a single mom called in and she explained she had just lost her home. Without understanding the implications, she had previously co-signed on a loan for a friend who had defaulted and the bank demanded that she pay the loan. This single mom did not have the financial resources to pay her friend's loan and a few months later, the bank foreclosed on her home. My heart went out to her as she was in tears and had no idea where she and her children could move to. As usual, even though she was a Christian, she had no idea that the Bible clearly discourages and warns of the dangers of co-signing. A fourth example I'd like to give, a business owner gives personal guarantees on corporate debt. A fine Christian couple who owned what was previously a very successful business encountered some significant business problems because of the recession in 2008 and 2009. This couple had given personal guarantees, that is, they had co-signed on their business bank loans without understanding the potential negative ramifications. When the company entered financial difficulties and could no longer pay its loan, the bank forced the company into bankruptcy, liquidated the assets, and there was still a deficit. That is, there was more money owed to the bank than what the receiver could get from the assets. As a result, and it is quite common, because this couple had co-signed on their corporate bank loans, the bank took legal action against them personally, and they ended up losing almost everything that they owned, including their home. Very, very sad story, and this couple by this time were about 60 years of age, and not at an age where they could really 
make up for all of this. Again, they didn't understand um, the implications of, of giving personal guarantees to a bank for corporate debt. So I'd say this, if you're a business owner, here's what I recommend, that you get limited recourse financing in your business um, if indeed you do need a business loan. This is the simplest, and the simplest way to do that is to have your corporation borrow the money and you do not give any personal guarantees. You do not co-sign on those loans. Yes, banks will push for a personal guarantee, but if you have enough equity in your company and good cash flow, you should be able to find a letter without personal guarantees. And frankly, the best option is to develop and implement a corporate cash flow or budget and purposely pay off all your corporate debts completely. To learn more about what the Bible says on business finances, be sure to watch my seven one-half-hour videos titled God's Financial Wisdom for Business. They are located on our website at copelandfinancialministries.org. Or if you have any questions about business finances, any whatsoever, feel free to call me at 416-818-2909, 416-818-2909. I'm advising uh, business people on their finances um, every day. That's... that's um, Besides my involvement in the ministry, I also have my own public accounting firm where we just do owner-managed private businesses. Number five, a brother signs on behalf of his sister's furniture loan. I remember a case where a brother co-signed on behalf of the furniture loan for his sister. As usual, he assumed it was just a formality and that there would be no negative consequences. However, after the sister had missed several payments, the financial institution took legal action against the brother. Fortunately, in this situation, the brother could afford to pay the loan, which he did, but it soured his relationship with his sister as he was angry because of her mismanagement of money. She had enough income and she should have been able to make the payments. He knew that, but she didn't. Because, of, because several loan payments had been missed, the brother incurred a bad credit rating. Remember, he's, he's on title as part of that loan. He's, he's registered as part of that loan. He's a borrower. He thought this was no big deal because he paid off his sister loan. He paid it off completely. He did not, not only catch up on the loan payments, but he actually paid the loan off completely. Of interest, not long after, and this is absolutely a true story. I've seen it a number of times. Not long after, he applied for a job with another company for a senior management position. He had two interviews. The company checked his references, and they were about to hire him. They, they were impressed with his references, with his training and experience. They were about to hire him. The only other thing they needed to do was the, their standard credit check. He thought this would be no problem because he had always paid all of his debts. And as a matter of fact, he even recently paid the debt of his sister. However, the company did not hire them because when they did their credit check, it registered that he had a bad credit rating. Why? Because he co-signed on a loan and the borrower, his sister, did not make the payments. And that was their policy. So he missed out on a really good job opportunity. And I've seen this with so many people where they actually miss on good job opportunities. More and more employers are asking, are doing a credit check before they hire somebody. Uh, it's becoming quite common. Number six, a Christian guarantees a business loan for one of the church leaders. This is a, a sad story, but it's true. And I've seen a few of these, not a whole bunch, but I've, actually I've seen a number of them. Several years ago, after I spoke at a church, a couple came up to me and told me a sad story. This couple were in their mid-60s and planning to retire. They had worked hard for over 40 years, managed their money very well, according to biblical principles, paid off all their debts, including their mortgage, and they saved sufficient for retirement. A leader from their church had asked them to help them with respect to a business loan. All they needed to do was guarantee a debt of his company, which he assured them would be no problem. It was just a formality. They had no idea that signing 
a personal guarantee on corporate debt was co-signing, which God strongly warns against. Unfortunately, about one year later, after they gave the personal guarantee on the corporate debt, which is essentially co-signing on that debt, the business went bankrupt. As a result, the bank took legal action, first against the company, but there were no significant assets. So then the bank took legal action. By now, of course, they, they would have taken legal action against the owner of the company, but he's broke. Um, so then they took legal action against the co-signer um, and forced them to pay the corporate debt. When it was all over, this couple ended up with a huge mortgage on their home, which they had worked so hard for 40 years to eliminate. This couple was devastated financially. They're also devastated spiritually because it was one of the leaders of their church who they trusted, a godly man that they trusted, and it was him who got them to, to co-sign on this, this corporate debt and, and caused all these financial problems for them. I'd say this, by far the majority of Christians, including those believers who are leaders in churches, including pastors, elders, deacons, doesn't matter, they have no idea that the Bible warns against co-signing, and so as a result, they can encourage others to violate the biblical financial principles and co-sign on the debt of someone else, including co-signing on a debt, in this case, of, of this guy's debt. Number seven, some private equity investments require a personal guarantee or a co-signer. Many people are not aware of this. Many years ago, I represented several investors to investigate a particular investment that had gone sour. It was a complicated private equity investment which used debt aggressively in order to hopefully increase returns. Unfortunately, the investments went sour and the investors lost their original investment. Further, unbeknownst to the investors, they had signed documents that had given personal guarantee in respect of the debt of the private equity investment. Since the entire project went into receivership and the assets were insufficient to cover all of the loans within the private equity investments, the investors had to make up the difference because they had co-signed on the debts. In other words, all investors lost not only their original capital, but also a lot more than what they had actually invested. This was a shock to many. As is common in these kinds of investments, the salespeople had not explained to the investors their potential downside risk of co-signing or guaranteeing these loans. And in some cases, the salespeople don't even know. They don't read the, the, the fine print themselves and they don't get informed of this by, by who's ever issuing it. This information was buried, it was buried, however, in a lengthy and complicated offering memorandum, which almost no one reads. Typically, these are 50, 60, 70 pages long, and almost nobody reads it. The recommendation, read the fine print before you sign, obtain biblically-based financial advice beforehand, and if you don't understand the investment, stay away from it. That's, um, that's very important. Just stay away from it if you don't understand it. Number eight, a girlfriend co-signs on her boyfriend's truck loan. With the right motive, of course, that is one out of love, a girlfriend signs on behalf of her boyfriend's truck loan. And several months later, the boyfriend defaults. By this time, this couple have split up. But nevertheless, she is still legally responsible for his truck loan payments. And what is worse is this. He has the truck and she has the debt. And of course, that's not fair. Seen a number of cases where people may not even be a boyfriend. It could just be a friend. It could be a brother, a sibling, whatever, where they, they co-sign on a vehicle loan for someone else and they end up getting stung with the payments and all the negative implications we talked about earlier. Number nine, several people co-sign on a loan for a church or parachurch organization. This, this, I've seen this a number of times. During a board meeting several years ago, the board felt led by the Lord to expand its ministries. 
One of the board members suggested, and the others agreed, that they would go to the bank and borrow a chunk of money in order to expand the ministry and, of course, trust God for the loan payments. By the way, it takes a lot more trust and faith to trust God for the cash than it does to borrow money and trust Him for the loan payments. Just my uh, brief comment there. They, they really weren't stepping out in faith as they thought. In any event, any event, let me go on with the story. Since this organization had no significant assets to offer the bank as security, the bank required the personal guarantees of all five board members. All board members agreed that if anything went wrong, each individual would be responsible for 20% of the loan. So each person felt we're only responsible for 20% of the loan. And I remember this one, it was several years ago, it was a $50,000 loan, so each felt 10,000 bucks, okay, I could afford that if things go wrong. So all five board members provided personal guarantees in respect of the loan, that is, they co-signed on the loan. Several years later, this Christian organization encountered significant financial problems and they could not make the loan payments. The bank demanded repayment of the loan and the bank reviewed the list of co-signers, that is, the, four, the five board members. And they decided to legally go after one board member who they believed had sufficient income and assets to pay the liability. By the way, it, it makes it simpler for them to go after one instead of five. Less, less legal fees, less work for them. They just looked over the list, checked some people out, not just credit ratings, but also some other stuff, and decided, okay, this guy here, he's got a few shekels, let's go after him. Bottom line, the one individual got stuck with the entire debt. He was only supposed to be responsible for 20%. And when he approached the other four board members, they all indicated they had no money and that they could not contribute anything. So he got stuck for the whole thing. As usual, this individual who co-signed by providing his personal guarantee to the bank, had, he, had, he had no idea that he could get stuck with the entire debt. He, didn't, he thought, yeah, my downside risk is 20%, but no, he ended up, his downside risk was 100%. Number 10, this is one where it, it becomes more acceptable when the biblical guidelines are more practical to do some co-signing. Mom and dad co-sign on a rental agreement for their son or daughter to attend post-secondary. Now often this is a one-year lease or a two or three-year lease. and It's usually not a huge amount of money. This occurs quite often and this is one type of co-signing agreement I believe that would be more acceptable within the biblical guidelines. Reason, mom and dad may be paying for it anyhow and presumably it would be a financial obligation that mom and dad can handle if their son and daughter does not make the rental payments. I'd now like to give you another example, shared accommodation. One way to lower your fixed costs is to share accommodation with another person, or even if you're a couple, share it with another couple. This can be in the form of renting or purchasing a place together. Financially, this can reduce your accommodation costs by 50% and enable you to balance your budget. This works particularly well for singles. So if you're single, sharing accommodation with someone else can work particularly well. However, the signing of a rental agreement or a mortgage agreement is a form of co-signing. Again, it's not a sin to co-sign, and God warns of the dangers of co-signing. However, this is one of the few cases where it may very well make sense to take the risk with respect to co-signing in order to substantially reduce your accommodation costs, because typically you can cut them in half. So what do, you, what do you think are some of the advantages of shared accommodation? What do you think are some advantages of shared accommodation? I think there's a few. Significant reduction of the fixed costs, such as rent, utilities, mortgage payments, if, you're, you share it with, if you're an individual, you share it with one other person, or you're a couple, you share it with another couple, you cut those costs in half, and those are fixed costs. Also, there can be good fellowship and someone to pray with, particularly if you're single. And there is an element of safety when two people live together as opposed to being alone. Now, what do you think would be some of the challenges or disadvantages of shared accommodation? The most common one is this. If one housemate does not pay their pro rata share of the expenses, 
then you could get stuck with the entire cost. Some people, even though they are family or close friends, cannot live together. Now that's a practical issue. Sometimes people can't live together. Perhaps a different lifestyle, different values, different personalities, different likes and different likes, some bad habits that can annoy the other person. Obviously, you're going to share accommodation. You've got to put up with some stuff. You are getting the benefit of, of, of reducing your fixed overhead costs by 50%, assuming they pay. But uh, even then, sometimes it won't work because uh, of different lifestyles, etc. So here's a question. Are there any recommendations that you would have to someone who is considering shared accommodation? Any recommendations that you would have to someone who's considering shared accommodation, even perhaps yourself? Think about that. First, develop a budget, Luke 14, 28 to 30, with respect to the projected cost of the accommodation, including the non-monthly expenses, to see if you and your potential housemate can afford it. So develop a budget or a cash plan to see if you can both afford it. Assess the financial skills or lack thereof your potential housemate. That's a really important one. If they got a history of mismanaging money, you don't want to rent or buy a place with them, that's for sure. All parties need to track their expenses regarding the accommodation and provide receipts. This is important. Uh, you need someone that's going to provide receipts so you can keep track of the expenses because you're sharing them. Assess the lifestyle of your potential housemate. Are you compatible? Also, if you have children, I've seen two single moms with kids share accommodation, buy a house or rent a house and share accommodation, and it's worked quite well. And in other cases, it doesn't work so quite well. But also, consider the impact on your kids, if you have some kids, uh, of having someone else in the house, and, and especially the character of the other person that's going to come in and live and, and share accommodation with you. Number five, develop an emergency fund for unexpected expenditures. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise, there is a storage of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Number six, if you're going to purchase a house together, discuss and agree on things such as saving for future major repairs and maintenance. In other words, plan ahead. The plans that are diligent lead to advantages surely as haste leads to poverty. Plan ahead. Start setting aside an extra cushion of money each month to plan for those unexpected expenditures. And even things, say you buy a house to replace the roof, to do anything major, start planning for that. Also, discuss up front what happens if one of the single housemates, I saw this where two ladies uh, lived together, it worked well for many years, but one lady met a, met a man and she wanted to get married and she wanted to move out. Well, the other lady didn't want her to move out because now suddenly her cost would double. So discuss what happens if that kind of thing happens. Also, number eight, write up an agreement amongst yourselves to provide clarity in case some, someone forgets. It's easy to forget. Put it down in writing. That makes it clear. Number nine, of course, pray and ask God for his wisdom, James 1, 5, and his specific direction, Psalms 32, 8, as to whether or not you should enter into a shared accommodation agreement with a particular individual. Claim Jeremiah 33, 3, a scripture I claim often in a lot of situations when I want God's wisdom, where God said, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So before you enter into that shared accommodation, whether it's a rental agreement or a purchase of a place, Ask God to reveal to you anything about the other person that you need to know that could create challenges and are you prepared to deal with those challenges. Number 10, another option is purchase a home if you can afford it and rent out a part of it to generate income to help pay for the mortgage. Now this can work really well for lots of people, especially given houses have gone up so much in the last several years and you can get that tenant helping you pay for all of these costs. The only thing I'd say is this, be very selective who you rent to. That's so important because you get a bad tenant that can cause you so many problems. And depending where you are, for example, I'm here in Toronto, Ontario, um, make sure that you learn the Landlord and Tenant Act that applies for where you are. There's usually a Landlord and Tenant Act, even if you're in the States or another province in Canada. Learn what those laws are, because often they're in the favor of the tenant, so you need to understand what they are. 
Another option is to consider living with your parents for a season of time, if that's at all practical. That can enable you to save quite a bit of money. So here's a question that will often come up. Is it okay to share accommodation with a non-believer? Is it okay to do that? Um, is it okay to enter into a rental agreement with a non-believer? Is it okay to purchase a house and enter into a mortgage with a non-believer? I think the scripture that's relevant here is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What is there between the temple of God and idol? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. So I think the scripture is clear. Um, God doesn't want us to be yoked together with non-believers and in any type of financial arrangement. And of course, this applies to marriage too. But any, let's focus in on the financial arrangement. So the question is, at what point are you yoked? When are you, when, when are you yoked? I believe you're yoked. It depends on the nature of the arrangement. If it's a short-term rental agreement you can get out of quite easily, then I don't think you're yoked. I don't think you're yoked and you're not unequally yoked if you do that with a, with a non-believer. I think it's okay. However, however, if it's a long-term rental agreement or the purchase of a place especially, then I believe that you are yoked and generally speaking, a committed Christian should not enter into such an agreement with a non-believer. And even if you do enter an agreement, especially to buy a place, even with a Christian, make sure they're a committed Christian that manages money according to biblical principles. Having said that, there's no substitute for each individual praying and discerning what God wants them to do. Ephesians chapter 5 states, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We need to understand what God's will is. So bottom line, pray and ask God for his wisdom, James 1.5, and his specific direction. And as you might expect, if you're a Christian and you decide to enter into a shared accommodation arrangement, be sure to do it in such a way it's a good testimony for the Lord. For example, God would not approve of a common law relationship where there's physical and emotional intimacy. Um, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, Matthew 5.16. And besides um, accommodation costs, what other expenses could be shared? You could share the use of an automobile. That can also reduce your costs. You can even share buying food in bulk. That can reduce your costs as, as well. So the last scripture here basically just tells us if, if you've co-signed on any type of agreement, really try to get out of it. So what are some practical ways you can free yourself from a financial obligation such as a co-sign loan? First, pray and ask God for his wisdom. Some situations may require a miracle from the Lord. Secondly, find another bank that would lend the money to the borrower with no co-signer and use those funds to pay off the loan that you co-signed. And thirdly, encourage and assist the borrower in managing money according to biblical principles, thus reducing the risk of a default. And so the conclusion is never co-sign on a loan unless you have the funds to pay for the debt and only after God has clearly directed you to do so. That's, that's my view and interpretation of the scripture. It's not a legalism, but that's, I don't think you should unless you have the funds to do it. And understand if you do co-sign, there's a high probability you're likely going to have to pay. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you. Your word says so much on finances in general, including co-signing. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct people as they listen to this, um, this show as to what you want them to do according to your principles and your specific will. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you would like to learn more about God's Word on finances, be sure to check out the numerous resources available at copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance. 